0: Thank you for having me uh, here today to bring you God's Word. It's a privilege to be uh, part of the congregation today. Um, It's quite interesting. I don't know who picked your prayer points, uh, but for Manuel and Patty in Colombia and Medellin. um, We're actually very close personal friends, uh, myself and my wife, with them, because it was uh, Patty's uh, fault that I actually met my wife. She was one of the students in the seminary that you just prayed for. And it was a party who'd spent four years trying to get me married off in Edinburgh. I finally succeeded when I went to visit them in Columbia once. So, there you go. Um good to pray for them with you today. Uh, we're going to read God's Word, a few verses from John's Gospel. I understand you've been uh, reading and preaching through the Gospel of uh, John. You find the reading in John chapter 3, and I think your Bible will be somewhere around about page 1066 page 1066. This is a fascinating event, if any of you haven't been here the last few weeks, where Jesus meets a very religious man, stalwart of the community, Nicodemus, who comes to him at night uh, to basically seek uh, God in a deeper way, I suppose. Um, And the interaction is fascinating. We're just going to look today at verse 11 to verse 15, so we'll read them now, then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at them. Verse 11, Jesus speaking to this Nicodemus then. He says, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man." Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, we pray now that Your own Holy Spirit will be here, that You would bless the the Word of God, that it may come uh, with the power of Your Spirit, that it may be spoken in faith and heard and received in faith today. Amen. Well, uh, like Jesus, I'm sure uh, in this passage here, many of you have tried to uh, tell someone something, and have felt frustrated when they wouldn't believe you. That's what he's dealt uh, with here. And uh, sometimes in life, uh, you will have to do something similar. Uh, It can be very difficult to have to give advice to someone Uh, when it could be hard for them to receive. Sometimes you see that in parenting and with families. And to make a suggestion to a family or to a parent to maybe change the way they're doing something, it's very political, it's very difficult uh, just to do it the right way. And very often you'll not get any thanks for it, and uh, they will just maybe shrug their shoulders and and move on. For some of you, it's been like that perhaps at work. You've... um, being in a situation in your workplace, you could see how things could be done better. you've made that um, suggestion to the boss, and nobody has taken you up in it. It's frustrating, isn't it? To know something that would help and not to be believed. Well, it's like that when we try and share our faith sometimes as well, as Christians. You can see the situation that people are in in their lives and you know the one who could really help them and bless them. And you maybe get an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, what He's meant for you. Do they believe you? Maybe not. And that can be profoundly frustrating. Well, it's good to know that we are in good company when we feel like that, because Jesus Christ knew something of that here with this Nicodemus as he came. So, I want to look at these verses and, and see some of the things that were making it frustrating, because Jesus is basically saying to this man there in verse 12, you're not believing me. It's not just that he doesn't understand, but he doesn't believe, despite all that Jesus has said. And so, in many ways, it's a good model to us of our, our, what it is like to be on a road traveling towards God. And that, I think, will be relevant perhaps for everybody who's found in a church on a Sunday morning in Dundee. Either you are already on that road and you are traveling towards God because you've become a Christian, but some of you will be here because you're just probing. You want to find out a little bit more. And in this passage you see very clearly some of the the roadblocks almost on the journey to faith, uh, a living faith, in the living God. So, I want to look, first of all, at the, the, almost like the, the, the road signs, the stop signs almost, that you can get on this road to God. And it's a bit like the traffic lights. Um, the first one we're going to look at is the red light. That's an absolute stop sign on the journey, because that's what Jesus has to deal with, first of all, with Nicodemus in this passage. You would have seen in verse 10 what he says there. And if you've got a Bible, do open it. It'll help to follow it along. But verse 10, he says to, again, remember, he's a very religious man, very high standing in his community. He says, you, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Jesus clearly expected that Nicodemus would understand all that he'd been saying, and you've considered some of that uh, in your previous studies the rest of what's there in chapter 3. Here's a man with a background. Here's a man with knowledge. Nicodemus had been steeped in the, the, the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. He was a man who, who was described here as the teacher. The definite articles there, uh, maybe suggesting he really was well known and well respected uh, as a, a teacher in Israel almost like having a university post, perhaps. And he would have known in that Old Testament so much about the Messiah, this promised Savior who would come. He could have connected the dots to begin to create the picture that what the Old Testament was talking about was now standing in front of him in Jesus— He could have done that. Jesus expected that he was able to do that. He should have been able to follow the thin red line that any of us can follow when we read the Bible. And if you're not used to the Bible, you will discover that from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, there's a thin red line that is all singularly focused upon Jesus Christ. And it's all there. So here's someone with all the background, all that knowledge. And on top of that, he's, he's met with Jesus. He's heard, perhaps, some of Jesus' teachings. He's certainly heard, maybe even seen, some of the miracles of Jesus. So there's the miracles. There's the teaching. There's his own understanding of the Scriptures. And those three things should have woven together to create like a rope that would have helped pull him up onto that road and begin to make that journey of faith. But did it? No. Jesus has to say clearly there, you do not understand these things. You see, sometimes in our life, it is our very background that creates the single biggest barrier to us moving on in our journey towards God. And if you come from a particularly religious background, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, it's very possible that it is your background that you will have to, as it were, overcome in order to go further with God, and with God's will for your life. This very week, um, having prepared this message, I visited an old lady in the Black Isle from um, uh, a particularly small, uh, uh, very strict church background, and she came out with all these standard text. What about women wearing hats? And other great classics about the communion table, eating and drinking damnation upon yourself, and a whole string of them. And I just sat down, even before the cup of tea, she just came out with them all. And it was a very strange situation, but it, she just illustrated perfectly. Here's someone who could not get to what Christianity is really all about, Jesus, because of her religious background. It was creating the barrier, just as it did for Nicodemus here, and just as it may do for some of you today. That God has great plans for your life, many things that He wants to do with your life. But it is quite possible that your very upbringing, uh, your very knowledge of even Christianity and of church things, your very familiarity with the things of God may actually keep you back you may have come up through Sunday school. You, you may have always been in and around church, and yet that very familiarity sometimes can create its own barriers that you can't see past your upbringing to begin to see who this Jesus really is, that he is the one who's standing before you today. Not a man, but Christ is in this place speaking to you today. So, there's the red light, and it can even be our own background that actually hinders us from finding God. And that's not just a religious background. Somebody with a non-religious background, a secular upbringing, that'll be your biggest hurdle, perhaps, as well, to overcome as you move forward in finding God's will in your life. But then other people can, as it were, you can be stuck on amber as well, if we go back to the, the traffic lights. I think that's really in verse 11, where Jesus talks about this unbelief uh, in Nicodemus' heart, despite the evidence that's before him. And Jesus says in verse 11, "'I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony.'" That's hard to know why speaking in the plural we and our, um, it could be a play in the words. When Nicodemus came to him at the beginning of the chapter and said, we have heard so many things about you, Jesus is now saying, well, speaking of himself, we know a few things too. Hard to know exactly what it means. But he's talking about himself. He is saying that he has presented credible evidence for people to believe in him. And he says there, it comes from the fact that he testifies to what he has seen. He says, we, or I, speak of what I know, and I testify to what I have seen. Now, we might not quite get the the, the full significance of that statement in our situation so removed, but 2,000 years ago in a court of law, the eyewitness account of somebody was the equivalent of modern-day CCTV. To say that you had seen something with your own eye, and it wasn't heard second or third hand, was a way of saying, uh, this is the most categorical evidence that you can hear today in the court of law so much so that there was even a death penalty attached to somebody who would perjure in a situation like that, who would tell lies about having a eyewitness testimony. So, Jesus is saying here to this person on this journey to faith, despite the evidence, despite the fact that I am giving you the most credible evidence possible of things that I have seen with my eye, you do not believe what you see, what I testify to. And it is a reality, as we said with the children, that the evidence to believe in God, to know God, can be staring us in the face, and yet we still choose not to believe. It's not just a problem of a lack of understanding, that there's something deeper and darker, an unbelief that does not want sometimes to go any further. And what should be the preparation for moving forward in our journey towards God, the evidence that we have in Christianity uh, about the faith, and about Jesus, and about the Scriptures, etc., what should prepare us for the next journey? Sometimes people can get stuck and do not go any further than that, and don't even really get to grips with it. That's what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus. He says, how can you deny this? How can't you get it? I often speak to people in the Black Isle, um, and they'll tell me, "Well, no, I don't go to church. I'm not a Christian. Not interested. Don't believe." And uh, I ask them, "Well, have you ever considered the claims of Jesus? Have you ever studied the life of the person that you are claiming not to believe in, and rejecting?" And the answer. To that as well, is, is no, they haven't. So, I'm saying, so I get this right. You have not really looked into the life, the times, and the teachings of this person that you have rejected out of hand. And this is very intelligent people. I remember speaking to this, somebody who worked for that University of Aberdeen and hands up. No, he hadn't. And maybe that's something similar to what was happening here with Nicodemus. And it can be the case time and again. People reject Christianity without really wrestling with its claims and with the very credible evidence that is there in the life of Jesus, particularly and in the Scriptures and in other ways. And I would challenge anybody who's just come into church today, maybe you've been invited in by friends, sit down with some friends who are Christians and really study the life of Jesus, and you will be shocked. You will be surprised, and you will begin a journey that will take you places you can scarce imagine at the moment. Red light, amber light. We need to get to a green light at some point in this journey. Verse 12, But because of the red and the amber, it's quite possible to miss the green light that's there in verse 12. Jesus now moves on. He says, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? He's talking here about the start of the journey, earthly things. Now, I talk to a lot of blokes um, about God Try to and ask them, would well, you never think about death? And they go, no. What's the point? They say, we can't know anything until we die. Then we'll find out if there's a heaven or a hell or anything else. As a Christian, you want to say, well, it's going to be a bit late by then. But their outlook is that, well, what's the point of wasting time thinking about these things and all this God stuff here and now when we can't know? But Jesus is saying the very opposite here. He's saying, no, no, I have given you the basics. I have told you so much, and I've told you about earthly things, things that have got to happen here and now on planet earth that will prepare you for greater heavenly realities still to come. And see, that's the green light in your journey to faith. You've got to listen to what Jesus is saying well, the Scriptures are unpacking about how to begin that journey, because it's something that has to happen in this world, in this life, in your time right now. And without uh, going into it all, but that's what you've been studying in the previous part of this passage, when Jesus says to a very religious man, ain't your religion that's going to get you into heaven, mate. It's a spiritual transformation that's going to do it, which he calls, we call the new birth being born again. Kind of jargon-filled language these days, but basically saying, Nicodemus, no matter how high your standing is in the community, no matter the fact that you eat, breathe, and sleep religion, you ain't there yet. If people really grasp that, it is pretty shocking today to think, no matter how much morality you can have in your life, It isn't enough to get you into these heavenly places, to get you into the kingdom of God. So, Christ is saying, no one ultimately needs religion that constrains the human heart and behavior, but we need an experience of God's Spirit that absolutely transforms our heart. Maybe there's someone here today, and you need to know the work of God's Spirit— Even right now, in this time of worship, speaking so powerfully into your heart, the truths about sin and repentance and faith and the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you new life. And that will be the beginning. That's the earthly things that Jesus talked of. That's to happen now. If we can't believe Him with regard to that, we won't be able to believe Him when it comes to heavenly things the fact that there's so much yet more to come in the Christian life. Even here on earth, there's going to be a lifetime of transformation through the power of the Spirit in our hearts, but it'll take even more than that. It will take eternity in the new heavens and the new earth for you as a believer in Jesus today to begin to plumb the depths of God's love and God's grace To begin to fathom the heart of God for you and what He wants to give to humanity and to people. These are the heavenly things. And if we can't get the basics, if we can't get conversion right, if we can't get through the right door to begin the journey on the right path, how can we begin to believe about heavenly things? So there's the beginning of the journey, there's the end of the journey mentioned there in that verse. But on our journey towards God, there's a companion. It's like a hitchhiker along this road as we're driving it along. We get past the red light and the the amber light. We get the green light, and we're going along. Verse 13, you've got a hitchhiker, if you like. A companion, a pilgrim. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. What's this about? He's basically saying, been there seen it, done it. And this is the opposite. This is where Christianity is quite different from other religions. A lot of religions have the idea of the mystic, someone who is like an ascended master who goes up to the heavens, glimpses heaven, and comes back to tell us all down here on earth and disseminate what they have discovered. Christianity sees things differently. It sees that Jesus is one who has already been in heaven, whose origins are there already, and He came down from there to us. And therefore, He is the most well-placed person, if you like, to journey through life with, because He is going to take you along that road, because he already knows that road perfectly well. Because, if you like, he's come the other way from it. This is so different from all the philosophies of man, limited by our own understanding, that can't figure out God by ourselves. But Christ and God and Christianity is all about this revealing, this revelation of God coming to us. This is a picture, I believe, that is of great significance to us all. When we face death and you're a young congregation you be thankful you don't do death very often up north as ministers sometimes that's all we seem to do is bury people even in growing congregations lots of death and one of the pictures i i often use uh, at funerals is of people as they come up to to death it's like coming up to the, the frontier of a dark jungle it's like, can you imagine going 18th century into Africa and it's a, an undiscovered wilderness before you? And that's what death is like. There's people dying maybe through cancer and they know they're going to go soon. I've had three deaths like that in the past year in one village and each one is standing on the, that frontier of the dark jungle. And I say to them, well, you've got a choice. You can enter into that experience alone and you'll be your own guide. You take your own machete, and you'll try and cut through it all and progress yourself. Or let me show you something else. And then you say, somebody comes out through that dark jungle, an Indiana Jones-looking-like character, pulled through a hedge backwards, but with the look of eagles in his eyes. And he says, I'm a guide. I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. I've been through it. I I'm ready, and I am willing to guide you through that. My friends, there's not one of you here today who is not going to face a moment like that. And that's going to be your simple choice. You either face it alone, or you discover this man, Christ Jesus, the companion of the soul through all of life, its ups and its downs, and the dark valley of the shadow. And who can say, I have come from that other land. And he has come even through the experience of death and can lead us through that. So you've got these lights. You've got the beginning, the end of the journey. You've got this companion along the way. But on this journey to God, Jesus makes plain here, there is finally one signpost that you and I must pass if we are going to find God and His will for our lives. And that's in verse 14 and 15. And the background that this signboard is painted on is in Numbers 21 in the Old Testament. Fascinating story of the children of Israel through the wilderness. They're grumbling, and this um, plague of snakes begins to bite them and poison them to death. And they eventually repent, and they turn to Moses and say, help. Moses prays. God says something quite unusual. He says, get a pole and make a, a, a model, a bronze model of the snake, and the very thing that's cursing you, the very thing that's killing you, the very poisonous thing that's destroying your lives, stick a model of that onto this pole and lift it up. And anybody to be cured, all they've got to do is look at what's been lifted up. That's all. Just look. You don't have to do any singing or dancing. They don't have to uh, clean up their act or anything else. Just look. Lift it up. They look. Then they live. And Nicodemus says to this man, with all his religion, who's kept all the laws of God all his life, as best as he could, says, Nicodemus, you haven't got anything yet. There's one thing you need to do. There it is in verse 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man Jesus' code for speaking about himself, must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have life eternal. He was taking a familiar story from Nicodemus's world and using it to describe something that was going to be shocking, that the salvation of the world, the pathway to God, would have to that road to God would have to come under the shadow of the strangest signpost in history. Christ's own death on the cross. And as He has been lifted up on the cross, and as people look to that moment on the cross, then they will discover, you will discover life. I remember when this happened to me as a student, I was 18 in Aberdeen. A friend from Lewis shared the gospel with me in the halls of residence and enough familiarity with Christianity to have heard about the cross. But it was suddenly brought from 2,000 years ago of ancient history right up into my very face and for the first time began to understand the significance that Christ died there for me. You see, what was happening in the cross? Well, like the picture with Moses and the snake, all that poisons you, all that's going to kill you, what the Bible calls sin, that self-centered focus, that inner darkness, that persistent and perverse desire to live without God. That's what's killing and poisoning every single human being, every one of us today. But God was to take that in Christ. Christ was to become like that snake. He was to become like all the pythons, all the snakes, all that would be poisonous in this world, all that could destroy you and me, all our sin, and like he became that sin on that cross. And to look at it as simply that act of faith to say, I now trust that the price was paid in full, that the doorway can be opened for me to find God if I but trust in this Jesus Christ. Now, I ask, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you're you're curious, and you're looking, and you hear this language about eternal life that begins now and ends in eternity, as it were, continues in eternity forever, and you want something of that life, you know something's missing from your life today you have an existence but not a real living, then you've got on your journey, go through the red light, go through the amber light, get the green light, but you must pass by this great signpost of the cross. You must look to Jesus. Now, in looking, do you have to do anything else? Do you have to clean up your act first? Do you have to believe some philosophy? Do you have to do X, Y, and Z classes? You don't have to do anything other than look and keep looking. Is that so hard for you to do today? Christ is here. And Christ is speaking to someone here. And he's just saying, look at me. Trust me. Trust what I did there was for you. And now you can know the Father forever and ever for those of you who are Christians what have you got to do with the cross today well you will not stop looking at it but you've got another job too you've got to lift Jesus and keep lifting Jesus up because there's another sense in the word here about lifting up is also used in the new testament about exalting Christ John in the 12th chapter says but Jesus speaking, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So, will you lift Christ up as a congregation? Will you witness to friends and neighbors and families and the young mums at the, the nursery pickup and all the rest of it? And will you lift up Jesus Christ in the way you live your life and the way you talk? There's a real call to evangelism. There's many things that we will placard in life and be willing to advertise in life. we company names in our clothes. But will you advertise Jesus? Will you placard Christ? Will you lift him up as the greatest cause in your life? Because everybody has a cause. Everybody's advertising something. But will you advertise Christ, the one who gives life and life eternal? Exalt him, for he is the one that the world needs. And if you are a Christian, exalt him and look to him and keep looking, because you will need to keep looking at the cross— John Carson, a writer, has something very powerful to say about this exalting at the place of suffering. The strange mixture that you have in Christianity of suffering and yet exalting in the same place at the cross. He says here, he is the sufferer and the exalted one. But it transpires that it is precisely in the matrix of suffering and exaltation that God most clearly reveals himself in the person of his Son. Do you get that? That God most clearly reveals himself in that matrix of suffering and exaltation, suffering and glory the cross and the crown. This is the great mystery, as it were, in Christianity. This is perhaps why some people will miss this great signpost that points to God, because they'll they'll stop at suffering and not realize that actually God does something profound in the midst of our sufferings. And if you're a Christian today, you will still find this to be true, that you will come closer to God, and you will know him better as you share in Christ's sufferings. You will know more of glory, as it were, upon your soul as you suffer. First the cross, then the crown. So if you want to go deeper with your walk with Jesus Christ with God, if you want to go further on that journey towards God, do not be surprised if God answers your prayer. He says, "Oh Lord, I want more of you, and He gives you so much hassle and so much trial. I was just saying yesterday that so many of the people in my congregation that are most committed to Jesus Christ are the ones whose lives are like magnets for trouble and trial. But bear with it patiently, because with suffering there is exaltation, and it will follow now, and greater exaltation in the life to come. So, journey to God. Red light of your background, the amber light, don't stall on the evidence, but use it. Take the green light of what Jesus says. Learn to walk with the companion of the soul, the one who has even been through the dark valley of the shadow of death. And look finally at that great sign. Just look, that's all you've got to do. Look and believe in what he did there for people like you, people like me. This is the word of God. May he bless it to each one of us today. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. The historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLUS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org Once again, that's www.solace-cpc.org Thanks for listening.